0: I've been thinking about how interesting it is what we attach or attribute value to. In other words, when we look back on our life from glory in heaven, will the same things we value today be the things we value then? Or what if maybe the whole thing gets flipped upside down? What if moments like this, that seem just like nominal times of Sunday worship, where we express with our heart something as pure as, I'm falling on my knees. I give, I'm offering all that I have to you. What if when we look back on our life and and, and we get to see from the perspective of eternity... What if we begin to value moments like this more? I wonder if this morning we together could just sing this this uh, the chorus just one more time. am falling on my knees. And, and this time maybe attribute um, not value from it, uh, I guess from the perspective of yourself. In other words... I'm worshiping because I'm a Christian and this is Sunday and this is what we do. But maybe we attach an eternal value to this. Maybe we broaden our perspective and begin to receive from the Lord how pleased He is by these moments. And we begin to feel the same way. What do you say? Let's just, let's just try this one more time. Jesus, Jesus, we make that our confession this morning. With everything that we are and all that we have, we let that burst out from us. We say that you are all that we are living for from our place of submission from, from, from all that we have to offer we say that you are king that you are the Messiah that you are the savior and owner of the whole world we say that everything is underneath your feet all is under your sovereignty that you are the great and mighty one and we offer what little we have to you Jesus, I pray that there is a a purity in our confession this morning that you, Jesus, are all that we are living for. Let that be an authentic prayer today in our hearts. Holy Spirit, we invite you in. Come and dictate the message today. Prescribe the word to the hearts in the room. I pray, Father, that you soften them and prepare them, build them up. For the exhortation of your word. Help us, Father. Would you come? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Hey, you guys can be seated. Thanks so much for coming. I, I, my name is Beck. Something kind of hit me in my spirit while I was praying just now. This may me seem weird. I know Alex is going to stand up. Please just trust that this is not just about Alex, who's, who's not feeling well today, but he is here. Thank you for doing that, sir. But if you're just feeling under the weather, um, in any kind, would you just stand up? No one's going to mess with you. I just want to pray for you real quick, if that's okay. To the sick people, or the people who are sick of being sick, <laughs> if they would stand, I would, I would appreciate that. Okay, good. Huh? Yeah, I see it. Good. Good. Okay. Would you guys just pray uh, with me here, um, guys? The sense that I get, and this may be just personal for me, there's just this frustration, like, um, like my friends are being picked on. I don't like bullies, right? I, I don't, I don't like them at all. And uh, enough is enough of blaming sickness and. Missing appointments and exhaustion on cold and flu season, whatever that is. And so, Father, I just agree with you in your word that um, you say that we are new creations. You say that the old things have passed away. You say that we have been given new bodies renewed in the Spirit. Lord, you say that you are a comforter and a healer. And then you say that we are in you, in Christ. But I just appeal to you now to bring an end to uh, whatever assault this is. Um, Whether it be a work of our own flesh that leads us to this sickness. I pray that you would humble our hearts, that we would find repentance in you and turn not to the ways of the works of our flesh, but to the way of your Spirit. And Lord, this, if this is some sort of outside measure, some sort of spiritual dominion or attack, something other than it hap- than is happening chemically inside of our body that's, that's manifesting itself or, or, or looking like a sickness, Lord, I pray that you would just cast that away, that we would be done with this season in our church. Or do you want a healthy church that is full of life and giving and generosity and love? But Lord, you are also asking for a church that is willing and able and physically capable to do the work upon the city that you've asked them to do. And I just put these things before you because enough is enough. No more limping along. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 I appreciate that. That was not in my sermon notes. uh, But I do believe... It was still necessary. Again, welcome everybody. Thank you guys so much for coming. Like Misty said, this is the last day of 2017. If you're a visitor or a guest here today and you have chosen to spend this last day of the year with us, we are... We are truly, we are grateful. Uh, We don't take this lightly. No one has to come here. And and we just want to extend our hand of fellowship and appreciation to you for being here on this Sunday service. For the rest of you that maybe are starting your New Year's resolution early and and coming to church, maybe that's your thing. Hey, I want to come to church this year. We'll let you in uh, as well. And for you old-timers, we're taking attendance. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Uh, I do hope that um, the Spirit of God moved greatly and powerfully in 2017, and that you um, you grew from His endeavors in your life, and that this doesn't just end up being another year that's passing by, fading into existence, but maybe a standpost, a light post, something staked into the ground that signifies, on that day in that year, the Lord did this to me, and I am forever grateful an altar, if you will. We pray that uh, for you. I also pray that 2018 has many of the same things coming ahead for us. Likewise, in the same spirit, uh, I hope everybody's Christmas was good. It was awesome. Christmas is an exhausting season. Lindsay and Bear and I enjoyed it very much. Lots of uh, family. I spent a few days in Pueblo, got my food fix in, so that was, that was really, really good. I hope that it was good for you as well. Today's message is entitled, God's Family, A Study of the King, the Kingdom, and the Bride. We've been in the book of Romans for, I don't know, a long time now, and and we're going to continue to truck through in just the same way. Today's uh, scripture will be Romans chapter 12, verse 10. Last week I got the opportunity to preach, and typically... For those of you that don't know, when I I teach, I can can teach large portions uh, at a time. Sometimes even whole chapters of the Scripture. I find it efficacious to do both. Focus on one Scripture, a single verse, or... One large passage, but this chapter 12 in the book of Romans has been so personally convicting and uplifting and exalting for me, challenging, that I attempt to not just do one verse. I haven't set out to say today, we're just going to focus on 10. Is like a challenge. No, that's, I'm thinking, what, what's the thought? What's the next thing, Lord, you want to share? And I can only get past one verse at a time. So uh, eventually, Alex is going to have to take the pulpit back uh, from me, or we will never finish the book of Romans <laughs> We will be in chapter 10 for, the next, for all of 2018. Uh, let's provide some context for today. The book of Romans is Paul's discussion up to chapter 12 of the theology of God. He's explaining what Christianity is from a theological general perspective, calling it my gospel. It's a profound book and an important letter to uh, Christians, specifically the church, not only then but today, as well as the rest of of the word is. However, in chapter 12, he sort of shifts gears. He moves from discussing about general theology, right, observation of who God is, who we are, what sin is, what salvation is, what sanctification is, to some specific directives. He starts to tell the Christian what we should do. And he provides a a short list of what the people of the kingdom of God are like. This is what it's like to be a part of God's family. If you're ever wondering how the Christian should behave, there's many sets of scripture to go to, but one of them is Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 16 or so. Last week in verse 9 was the beginning of this list of what the Christian is like. And it's uh, where we talked about uh, love without hypocrisy. Let your love be genuine. Let your love not be an act. Abhor what is evil and cling to what is good. And today we're going to move on into verse 10. If you don't have your Bibles with you, um, you're a sinner and a heathen and... No, I'm just kidding. I spoke to our elder Jerry, he said we have to keep you around, so we've put the verses up on the screen, just for you wretched people. I'm just kidding. Uh, We're going to read the verses, uh, uh, chapter 12, verse 10, but what I'd like to do is provide just a little context, so we're going to back up into verse 9 and read through verse 13 so that we can... Uh, get a good sense of what's happening here in the scripture and before I start just to offer a layout here We're going to talk about the scripture itself I'm going to do a little teaching which is more what I am than a preacher a little teaching on, on what this verse actually means contextually uh, grammatically We're going to look at some definitions of words so that we can gain a deeper understanding of what is actually being said Then after that, I'm going to draw a few conclusions uh, for us today in the church. Maybe how we could apply this scripture together. So if it seems like we're getting in the thick of things, don't worry. Just hold on. We'll get to the cool part right at the end. Sound good? Okay, here we go. Uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 9. Let us let love be without hypocrisy abhor what is evil cling to what is good a verse for today be devoted to one another in brotherly love give preference to one another in honor not lagging behind in diligence fervent in spirit serving the Lord rejoice in hope persevering in tribulation devoted to prayer contributing to the needs of the saints practicing hospitality Many verses, those scriptures vary. We're going to talk about that here in just a second. So if you're reading a different version, I, I, I tend to read out of the New, King, or, uh, New American Standard when I am uh, teaching. Uh, but another version would suit just fine. Before we go any farther, we have to discuss two major questions before we go on. The first is, Who is this statement made out to? In other words, who is Paul talking to? We often make mistakes when we misinterpret the Scripture, not by misunderstanding what it says, but by misunderstanding who it is being said to. We can make conclusions about who we are in Christ, and when we we study the context of Scripture, we realize that the author wasn't talking about Christians or to Christians at all. It's not only important to have a good understanding of what the Bible says. It's important to understand who and whom it is being said to. In this instance, Paul is speaking to the believer. He's speaking to the Christian in Rome. And as we extrapolated out the Christian here today. So if you are not a Christian here in this room, you're you're a visitor or you're, you're being challenged with your faith, it's not bad for you to hear, but you are not held to this standard unless your life is being handed over to Christ. Dare I say, the stuff that we're about to talk about is impossible apart from Christ. Genuine love. And so we can't go any farther beyond confessing your life and handing your trust over to the Lord Jesus for this to be any work or efficacious work for you at all, for it to be effective. We must be Christians. This is true because in Romans 12, chapter, or Romans chapter 12 verse 1, Paul says, brethren, this is the common term, this is a key word that if you're reading the Scripture as a Bible student, you would want to see it to, to know who he's discussing or talking about. In Romans 12 uh, verse 5 he says, we, to those who are in Christ, to be in Christ is to be with Christ. When Christ died, who died if we are in Christ? We did. When Christ rose again, if we are in Christ, who rose again with Him? We died with Christ and we are resurrected again with Him in newness of life. The believer is in Christ. Christ. This is who he is making these statements to. A second question is how do you personally interpret the Bible? The first question is who is this made out to? And the second question is how do you interpret the Scripture when you read it? There's a million different ways, definitions, and titles, but I've, I've kind of whittled it down to three. The first... Is the literal way of interpreting the Bible. The literal way, and I just—I have this definition here, I found it on the internet, so you know it's good. Um, literal is the, the literal interpretation is to take the biblical text at face value. This does not mean literally all the time. In other words, if if an author is making an illustration, if an author is creating an allegory, we don't assume that those allegories happen because they are on their face, they are examples of something else. It doesn't mean that every word of Scripture is absolutely literal because that takes it out of context. But we do believe that the characters were there, really were there. That the miracles that happened, really happened. That the things the Scripture says um, have been done historically, had been done. The second way is the ethical view of interpretation. This is sometimes understood as the moral interpretation. It involves reading between the lines, in other words, a passage or a verse to see how it applies to your life. Right? And when you hear a pastor read a verse and then he says, This is what this means for you, he's taking an, an ethical interpretation of the scripture. The third is symbolic. Is a symbolic or symbology is an interpretation of the scripture, this is often known as the allegorical or typical method. It means we don't necessarily care whether these people were real or whether these things really happened. It's what they represent that is the core message here. Now some of you might be saying this is kind of a stupid way to introduce this message. I'll tell you what, we get tripped up in our understanding of the Bible when we don't confess or, sorry, when we don't take time to learn and understand these things. How you interpret the Word will interpret your worldview. How your worldview works will interpret your life choices. And brethren... Someday you will stand naked before God because of your life choices. They will stand up inside or aside to truth. This is empirical. It's it's imperative, pardon me. It is so important for us to not just know the word, but to know what we think about it. Now I would confess to you, some of you aren't going to like this, that all three of these interpretive models have their place. They are good at times. But we have skipped ahead We've left the literal model and just lived in the symbolic or ethical model. I would ask you today to leave those other things behind. Don't draw any implications. Don't try to make or or conjure up any conclusions. Instead, let's read the scripture at its face, just what it says, and let that speak to us first. There will come a time in the future when we believe those other uh, levels of interpretation are good or necessary. None is higher than the other. They're just like different tools in a workshop. But we've, we've left our foundation of just reading the Word to try and create some artful or creative connection for you and I today. What if instead we just let the Spirit of God work on our heart through the Word? Can we do that today? We are going to take the literal model as we go through the Scripture uh, today because I want us to live lives that are influenced by the Word of God, not by tradition or some illustration, or some creative example. This is what will change the world. Don't just read this book, investigate it, consume it, bet your very life. On it. If this is truly the most um, powerful book in the world, the Word of God, the, the 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 character and nature of God put in baby language for us to understand. If this is exactly what it says, it is. Wouldn't it be right for us to spend time learning what it says before what we say about it? Let's do that this morning. When Paul uses brotherly love in the text here today, let's not draw some theoretical conclusion. Let's not assume that he's saying it's like brotherly love. Let's just assume that he said what he meant and he meant what he said. Can we just take it at face value? I think you might find that it's more challenging um, than you may think. And it's more rewarding as well. This is not artificial language. I wrote this down. This is, I think this is good. This family terminology is meant to describe how we are to one another. We are in Christ, and as a result, we are in the family of God. God is our Father. Christ is the firstborn Son, therefore the firstborn brother. And we are given a spirit of adoption into the kingdom of God. Did you ever know, have you ever put the connection together that the kingdom of God is only going to be the family of God? And His kingdom will all be brothers and sisters. Paul says in Ephesians, we are members of one household. Let us assume that when it is written, we should give preference to one another in honor. That is exactly what we should do. Choose others over ourselves. Now because we're going to look at the scripture here I think it's important to note that sometimes we can get caught in the language sometimes what I call like old English or old school words we've mixed or or kind of detoured away from the original definitions of words what I'd like to do I'm just going to read a bunch of, of, the, of chapter 12 verse 10 in different translations of the scripture or different commentaries of the scriptures so that we can gather if we're going to just look at it on its face a more holistic understanding of what the scripture is is really trying to communicate to us. Does that make sense? Now you don't have to have a Bible with a bunch of different versions. I got them up here on the screen for you. Let's start with the NASB, just the one on your screen. We can go back one slide. Be devoted to one another in in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Next one, this is from the English Standard Version. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. This is the King James Version. Be kindly affectionate to one another is what that should say. With brotherly love and honor preferring one another. New King James Version. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love and honor giving preference to one another. Uh, J.B. Phillips if you don't know who it is you should read him he's awesome it's just a different version of the New Testament let us have real warm affection for one another as between brothers and a willingness to let the other man have the credit and finally the message which isn't really a translation of the Bible more of a commentary a tool to be used from time to time it can be helpful verse 10 be good friends who love deeply Practice playing second fiddle. I hope these different versions of the Bible help you gain a more complete understanding of what Paul is really trying to communicate to who? To the believer. And what is he trying to communicate? Not some, like I said, allegory or example. This is exactly what he is trying to say. And because of that, let's look at some of the words here. Are we doing all right? Is this helpful? Are you guys falling asleep or are you like, you're like fired up to be here? It's the last day of the year you get through it. No one's going to stay until midnight anyway. First one here, the word I want to look at is be devoted. Philostorgos. the root is storge, which is a, a version of love. It means to love affectionately. Be devoted in the Greek is this kind of one theme or sense of a word. It's like the love you have for your family, assuming it's a healthy one. Maybe to provide some more context, the opposite meaning of the word is hard-hearted or outcasted. So go to that end and then swing to the other and you're right there at devoted to one another. It says, lovingly affectionate, like you would love your family to one another in brotherly love. Brotherly love is the word Philadelphia. I thought that would be cooler because we're Americans and we have a city in America called Philadelphia. Hello. (laughs) It's actually pronounced Philadelphia in the Greek, and Philadelphia literally means brotherly love. The love that a brother has for one another. Not your bro or your friend. These are terms of endearment to say that a friend is closer like a brother, but an actual sibling. This word is meant to further define how we are to be devoted. In other words, if God came down to you and said, I want you to be devoted to one another, and you said, well, how exactly do you want me to be devoted? He would say to us, I want you to love each other like you would love your own brother. That's what devotion looks like in this family, love, and affection. Be affectionate towards each other in what way? Like a brother. Now, many of you are saying, like, man, I'm a jerk to my brother. (laughs) Are we supposed to like give each other noogies and steal each other's socks and or how, what kind of brotherly affection? The way I think love really tends to rise to the top is if somebody was in dire need. If you had to choose your life or your siblings, and you have a loving, devoted affection. I have—I have so many siblings. I can't even think of one, two, three, four, five. I have five siblings. Sorry, I lost track. I have five siblings, and I would gladly give my life for any one of theirs in exchange. That is brotherly love. This is not the only place where it is mentioned. Actually, when you get into the book of Acts, after uh, the church is developed, this idea of brothers and sisters starts to blow up. Paul, or pardon me, Peter says, love one another fervently. It's the same sense or text of the word brotherly love, being devoted to one another. Paul in Galatians 5, uh, I think it's verse 13, says, my brothers and sisters were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. The word there, Philadelphia. Philadelphia. The next one, the sense of the word says, take delight in honoring each other. Or, according to the NASB, give preference to one another in honor. Literally, it means outdo one another in guarding honor. Being a protector of not just the people, but how the people are treated. Literally, the sense is to outdo one another. Never honor yourself, never ever honor yourself. Leave that to others. Instead, sacrifice your honor for anyone in the church, the beloved, the brethren, those who are in Christ. Now this just on its face can be powerful. Doesn't it? Just an understanding of the Word of God. I think it's important that we just leave it alone from time to time. Now I have some questions. Is this our reality? (laughs) Like if you were going to describe Jesus Christ Fellowship or your home church, is this verse the verse you would use to describe this church? Is this your experience? Be honest. It has never been mine. As unfortunate it is to say that, I would rather be honest about where we are, both as a local church here, as a body, And as the church corporate, the big C church, I would say that we are not there yet. Maybe we have been in history and from time to time this kind of love and devotion to one another is is outwardly expressed in a way that is a testimony that brings faith to those around us, encourages us, emboldens us, but is this our day-to-day experience? I think you and I would both agree it is not. How can anyone have this kind of affection? As I really study the scripture, as I, as I think about it and, and ask the Lord, and I, I dig into each word and I try to let it seep into my soul, the question that comes up is God, no one can do this. I don't even like my own brothers and sisters all the time. You want me to love everyone in the church over myself? But I'm important. I think so anyway. <laughs> this is where we get to some of the conclusions for today. Do we have an understanding of the Word? I'm going to be bold here. Are there, and It's okay, raise your hand. This is a small church. We ain't going anywhere. Are there any major questions? Because I want us to grasp this. Who preaches and asks the, the congregation if they have questions? I do. No, I don't care. Because it's important for us to grasp. We need to understand what the Word says, not what I say about it. If you take anything from today's message, let what has just been said seep into your spirit and just consider the rest of it. Let's move on then. Some conclusions I want to make. I call this the gospel affection. I've been working on this and maybe this will help you. The gospel affection is the demonstration of love that is totally abandoned from self-preference. A love that never wavers, always takes action, gives no thought to his or her position or standard, never considered his rest or recovery or personal gain, and would gladly lay down his or her life for the smallest of gain for the lowest of persons. This is the affection that the gospel requires. This kind of affection is impossible for us, as we've stated, This kind of affection obviously isn't our experience in the church, but listen, this is the affection of the gospel. There's this wonderful uh, scripture um, that many of you have read before and I think it's worthy to pull out now. Uh, John chapter 13 is the story of Jesus washing... The disciples feet now we've gone over this time from time in our own church and I'm sure that you've studied it at one time or another but when you when you open the context of the story is as, as, as John tries to provide a little understanding of what's happening this is how he shapes it I want you to notice how high Jesus position is according to God and then the action he takes Listen to this, uh, chapter 13, verses 3 through 5, if you're taking notes. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. You know when Tim Allen does the like, I can't do it. Not manly enough, apparently. But that's what you, I mean, like, yes, that is power. That is, that is my Jesus. He is a warrior. He is... All things are His. What is Jesus going to do next? He says, So He got up from the meal, took off His outer clothing, wrapped a towel around His waist. After that, He poured water into a basin and began to wash His disciples' feet, drying them with the towel He had wrapped around Him. This is affection. This is brotherly love. This is devotion. This is giving preference to others in the highest level of honor. And this is exactly the life Jesus wants to live through us. Did you know that Jesus didn't give you an example? He gave you His life. I mean, that is a distinct difference you can look at this book and say, this is my how-to module. This is the, this is the plan. Or you can say, this is the life of Christ that is, it is being described who I really am in Him. He didn't give you an example. He was a good one. But He actually gave you the very mechanism, the engine, the life that drove Him, He gives to, to us. Maybe you could say it like this. I want us to think about a trip. And our final destination together as a church is gospel affection for one another. That we may tell a story to the world, not by how we preach or how we proclaim or how we share on Twitter, but rather how we love one another. That maybe where we are all going, the journey that the Lord has us all on, is to share in the same affection that He had for His disciples that fateful night. This is our destination. If we look at our destination and we compare it to where we are, the first question we should ask is how do we get there? Paul, in the book of Romans, gives you the first step. In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, he says, The place you start is by renewing your mind. In other words, on this journey to our destination, on this journey to gospel affection, there's some things that are going to have to change in order for us to get there. Maybe you could say it like this. We're on a road, but there's some rubble in the middle of the road. And that's our poor thinking. Paul is saying to us, we have to get rid of the rubble in our road if we are going to make the journey to our destination, gospel affection, to the church, the kingdom, church of God. where these decrees that Paul lay out can actually be lived out. We need to get rid of the rubble in the road rubble in the road. I just wrote this here for for more clarification. If we want to get to the destination in Christ, where our affection for one another shares the gospel with anyone who watches, we must first clear the rubble in our road. In other words, our thinking. The rubble in the road blocks uh, our journey and deters us from our hopeful destination These beliefs and notions and worldviews sit like large boulders in the middle of our path and prevent us from going any further towards our destination. Some of you are like, man, this is a weird dude preaching up here, but some of you are like, man, I know exactly what he's talking about. I got some things in me, the way I think or the way I know things should be, that are are preventing me from being who God has asked me to be the whole time. I don't want to let go of them, but I don't want to miss out on Him. And so we're stuck in this position between our spiritual condition, our sanctification in Christ, and our flesh. This dead body we are trying to keep alive. This boulder in the road. Now, there are many boulders in the road. The the list too long to go on. It's called sin, okay? But today I would like to focus on just, on just a few of the boulders, maybe three specifically, that I think um, uh, g- connect with the scripture in a powerful way. Hopefully it does for you anyway. The first, the first thinking, the first boulder in the road is the family first principle. Family is a good thing. Family was orchestrated by God. It's an entity designed by God. It is something that the Lord uses as an example of how we should care for each other in the church. He says that we are a family. He goes on at great length in Ephesians chapter 5 to discuss what the family dynamic should look like, how it should function, and how it's so good when it's healthy. Jesus himself was a part of a family. I am not here to bash family, but somewhere along the way, this idea of my family first came to be this is a perverted understanding of the love of family name the verse you tell me where it says you are to love your mother and father and brother and sister your family more than you are to love the church You tell me where the scripture declares to us that the family that we are born into gets some special kind of love and everybody else you disciple gets whatever is left over. Show me the scripture where Jesus gave a great amount of love to his mom or his brothers and then had different kind of love for his disciples or those in the street or those who were lame. You are to reserve no love for your family. In fact, all of your love is reserved for God alone. And those who love God properly love others. Abundantly love others. We believe that there's this resource of love, this this well that we have, and when we give out, we are absent of some. As if someday I'm going to run out. You will your own strength but if we connect ourselves to the river of living water that is Christ it is a river that never runs dry and we are able to give love freely and abundantly without restriction or hesitation to anyone who needs it if I am a Christian and God says I'm a part of God's family I should love you the same way that I love my own son Moms, you need to hear this. You really do. If you're reserving something for your own ch- kids, we think, well, they're special. These are the ones that God gave me. These are the ones... No, God, is the, God created our other children too. God created um, the folks in our church too. You're never going to run out of this abundant love in Him. Family first is a piece of rubble in the road that we need to remove from our thinking. Yeah, this is good. Matthew twenty-five forty 40 says, um, this is Jesus speaking in a parable. The king will reply, Truly, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Did you know that when you sin, not only have you offended the person that you sinned against, but you've chiefly offended God. He's offended by all of sin more than any of us are. But in the same vein, when we honor each other, give preference to one another, when we love with a dear affection, not only do we provide honor for the person that we are honoring, but we honor God. He is pleased by the way we care for each other, including the least of these. John 13, 35. Jesus says, By this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Not just our family. We renew our mind by removing the rubble in the road that prevents us from... Party The rubble in the road that, of ranking who gets what kind of love by allowing Christ to love and His work, His loving work to work in and through us freely that allows us to give love without regulation, worry, expectancy, or hesitation. The second... The second piece of rubble in the road I want to talk about today is past hurts protecting future dismay. The Christian should be the most affectionate person alive on the earth, should be the most generous, the most abundantly giving, the most loving. However, often we in the church have done most of the harm to one another. Here we expect each other to be vulnerable be open and when we trust and we open ourselves up and the sinful men and women in this room like you and I hurt one another our response is to never allow that to happen so we exchange vulnerability and trust and we pick up our own self protecting armor and you know this is true we do this little dance you wear your armor and I'll wear mine and we'll come to church and we'll hug each other how you doing sister? God bless you brother And we all do this little ballet. We perform for one another, pretending to be loving, acting like we're genuine, but all the while preventing ourselves from being injured and removing our own vulnerability. We'll make stuff up. We'll put smiles on our faces as long as we are never hurt like that ever again. As long as we are not misused. As long as we are not... uh, prayed for in some weird way. As long as we're not, uh, somebody said that they would keep a secret and they didn't do it. As long as that never happens, I'll do this little dance. Which reminds me of the verse that Paul says, let your love be without hypocrisy. Don't do the dance. Don't let your love be an act. In fact, I wrote this down. The only reason that we attend church today is either for one of two reasons. One, for a great, entertaining, enlightening pastor who keeps us thoroughly um, entertained. Like a good speaker. I'm not one of them, but that's the reason why somebody would come to church. And the second, for those of you Bible people, because the Bible says not to forsake the fellowship. (laughs) Like, I'm only here because it's biblical. I really don't want anything to do with you people. I will never say that out loud but the truth is I can't really say to God I'm a Christian and then never go to church so I'll go I'll volunteer I'll do my thing I'll put my money in the plate but I'm going to do my dance I'm going to pretend Ephesians 5.21 says this submit to one another out of reverence for Christ don't submit to Christ out of reverence to Christ submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. There's this great story in the Bible where uh, Jesus dies on the cross. Peter denies him three times. He raises him from the dead and he returns to the shore of the sea out where Peter is fishing. Peter recognizes him. You know the story. Puts his cloak on and he dives into the water. Do you remember this? And he's getting ready for the thumping. Peter knows, man, I got to say I'm sorry, I got to confess, and and I got to do all this stuff, but he's prepared for just the lashing, for Jesus to give him the Heisman, the stiff arm. No, Peter, you denied me, you will now get punishment. Instead, what happens? Do you love me? You messed up, but do you love me? Jesus never puts on the armor. He continues to move in trust and vulnerability because he's never going to let the sin of another displace his own behavior in Christ. He's never going to let past hurts protect him from a future dismay. His experience doesn't get a vote. The Word of God does. The third... um, or pardon me, we renew our minds as Christians from protecting ourselves by realizing we can't protect ourselves at all. We find our security, our strength by clinging to the cross like a child who would hide behind the leg of his father. He is our strength. He endures. He supplies all that we need. Psalm 63 says, my soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. The third, maybe this is the most An important one for me, and maybe for you as well. The third piece of rubble in the road is our rank. We can all agree as believers that God is supremely powerful overall. He is the chief rank. He has the highest level. But then after that, what do we do? Whether knowingly or unknowingly, in your heart, we kind of rank each other. Who's the most important? Let me ask you this: Who in this church are you over? Who is under you? We can confess to God that He is more important to us, but it becomes more and more challenging when we think about the people in our life that are not successful in society or not great helpers around the church space, that we are more important. Effectively, God needs us more than He needs that other person. Like if there was some fire, He would definitely save me. but don't think too highly of yourself. There's something in the corporate world I call the worldly ladder. You know this to be well, or you know this well where... We want to be successful. In other words, there's this throne at the top of this really tall ladder. And it is the throne of success. It's the throne of power. It's the throne of popularity and money and all things good. And so in the world today, we all climb up that ladder. And as you're scavenging up that ladder as fast as you can go to get to a place of success, there's a bunch of other people that are coming too. And before you know it, it's a mob of people that are crawling on top of each other. And as you're crawling up, you get a shoe in your face. Someone has stepped on you to elevate themselves. As a result in frustration, you realize, oh, this is how this game is played. So what do you do? You step on others so that you may exalt yourself as well. This is the worldly ladder where we clamor and crawl and manipulate and lie and cheat and steal all with a smile on our face to try and get to the top. Do not think for a second that Christians aren't trying to climb this ladder. But on the other hand, there's this other thing I like to call low seat in Luke 14 uh, it's a parable Jesus is speaking and he says in verse 8 through 10 when someone invites you to the wedding feast do not take the place of honor for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited so if the host who invited both of you will come and say to you give this person your seat then humiliated you will have to take the seat of least importance But when you are invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, Friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all the guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. This is the life of Christ. Jesus the king creator was born in a barn made furniture for a living paid taxes honored a sinful king entered a city the city of Jerusalem that he made not on a horse but on a donkey then he suffered the death of a criminal this is the king of the world who didn't come down in glory instead he took the low seat he went to the lowest place in the case of the worldly ladder that we, saw, we see in, the, old, or the, in the, the Gospels, while everybody is clamoring to try and make this way of success, you find Jesus, instead of crawling to the top, he's barreling himself to the bottom. He's seeing how many people he may get under, that he may exalt them higher, that he may lift them up. And then he invites you and I in Christ to do the same thing to give preference to one another in this church and the church as a whole so that we may be a, a counterculture to the world that is trying to climb the ladder. Instead, we would not try to get to the top. We would try and get to the bottom. There can only be one at the top, but if everybody is trying to get to the bottom, if everybody is humbling themselves, if everybody's offering preference to one another, who is ever at the bottom? always being exalted. Don't worry about yourself. Trust and love and understand that the body of Christ will take care of you. Giving you the freedom to give abundantly because you have no need for yourself anymore. In other words, you don't have to take care of yourself because there is a brotherly love. There is an affection that gives preference to you that is giving you the highest level of honor as you do the same for others. This is the church. This is the destination. This is where we should all set our sights on going. To renew pardon me, to renew our minds as Christians from the rubble in the road that directs us away from the gospel affection destination to the worldly ladder that requires us to step on top of one another rather than lift each other up. These three boulders, as well as many others, I'm inviting you to toss to the side. Renew your mind. Get rid of that thinking. Your family is not more important than any of the other believers because your fam- the believer is a family in itself. Don't let your past get a vote. Let the Word of God control you. And don't think highly, more highly of yourself than you ought to. Be excited to get to the bottom. Find the lowest seat in the room, the kids' table at Thanksgiving dinner, and be honored to sit there. Finally the destination. We're almost done here. The Kingdom of God is a church, and within it, a family. What does this look like? I've put together a series of scriptures here. I tried to create examples and stories. And after the beginning of the message, where I said, read the word on its face and don't make any conclusions, I kind of felt stupid saying that and then drawing all these other things. So here's what I've done. If it's okay, I know it's hot in here and I know that we're tired. I want us to focus for just a few more minutes. I've just put together a few scriptures here that I'd like to share with you. That if you close your eyes or really really think about this, this should be an example of what the body of Christ should function like. in other words, if we came over the hill from our long journey and we, we went to the top and we saw the city that is the kingdom of God, this was our destination, this is what it would look like. If you sat on the, in a coffee shop or sat on the corner and you people watched, this is how the people would behave in our destination. Let's read here. Romans 12, 4 and 5. <clears throat> For just as we have many members in one body and all the members do not have the same function so we are many are one body though are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another ephesians 2:19 through 22 so then you are no longer strangers and aliens but are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household Having been built together on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord. Ephesians four fifteen and 16. But speaking the truth in love, we, the beloved, are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by every joint that supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causing the body to grow and building up of itself in love. 1 Corinthians 12, 25 and 26. So that there be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Wouldn't that be nice? If one member is honored, all the members rejoice. Philippians 2, 1 through 4. This is the last one. Therefore, if any of you have encouragement from being united with Christ... If any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded. Having the same love, being in one spirit and of one mind, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves not looking to your own interest but to the interest of others this is our destination it may not be fancy you may not walk out of here and feel supremely enlightened you may not elbow somebody and say what a great message but beloved this is the truth regardless of what you think about the church regardless of what you think about yourself And regardless of what you think about everybody in this room, this is our destination in Christ. Deny yourself. Humble yourselves. And trust that the Spirit of God is working on the the Beloved around you and that they will do the same. There's a portion of the beginning of the church in the book of Acts, chapter 2, where it says that they sold their houses... They gave up of their living space so that they could share with any who might have need. Who's the first to sell their house? Who's the first to give it up? Who's the first to give their house to another? Who's the first to hand over something of great value because they think that person is more valuable than I am? I'm honoring them, giving preference to to them. I'm taking the low seat. This is how we heal the church. This is the bride at the end of the aisle that Christ is looking for. The one who gives up everything for another. Last scripture here. Isaiah 53. One of my favorites. Says this. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him. And with His stripes we are healed. Maybe because of his stripes, we can be healed enough to take some stripes of our own for another. And by those stripes, we as a total church can become one body healed. Let's bring the worship team up here. We're going to get ready to take up our offering. I really do hope that this was helpful for you. I want to remind you that we won't have our uh, evening service tonight in, in lieu of the new year. I know we didn't really talk about the new year much, but it's not my style. We can go do that later. You know, over the break, I had the opportunity to, uh, to spend some time with a, a beloved family member of mine, somebody that I honor and admire greatly. Uh, his name is Dave Devendorf. He is my uncle. Uh, not by blood, but it might as well be so. He's my dad's best friend. He suffers from Parkinson's and has um, maybe the most tender heart I have ever seen. I have learned about how to share my life with another by observing him over the years. And during our time together over Christmas, he wanted to see uh, the baby and Lindsay. Men when you get married, people forget you even exist. And when you have kids, it's like over. But we were spending some time together and we were, we were sharing about the church and, and some other things and, and he brought uh, to my attention uh, a book of poetry that his grandfather had, had written. And in many ways, though, we're not biologically connected and I've never known this man. There was, a, there was a connection of some kind like he was my granddad. My Uncle Dave, with his shaking hands, opened this book and said, I want you to read... This poem. I said, "Well, okay. don't well, know what's it about." He said, "This is a poem that every pastor, pastor should read. And if it's okay with you, as we talk about loving each other in this vein, I'd like to give you a practical example, real quick, um, while we take up our offering of what this could look like. Is that, is that okay?" Just take a second. I'm going to bring up the offering. We're going to pray real quick. While it's being passed around, they're going to play lightly. I'm going to read this, and then when I'm done, we'll stand and worship. Is that all right? I know we're running a little over, but I believe that this is important. Oh, Lord, I just thank you for the offering. I pray that at the end of the year, we do not um, get so close to the finish line of this year's race and then fall short. I pray that we finish strong that our generosity abounds, that our willingness to give freely and joyfully increases, not so that this church can have some financial gain for her own self-interest, but Lord, that this money could be returned to you for your benefit, that we may use it wisely and according to your word, that we may listen keenly to your spirit and be directed by you alone. Bless those that give, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. This is called A Friend in Need by Jess Kenner, a Colorado poet. I went alone to the church one day and sat in a crowded pew. There were people all around me, Lord, waiting to hear about you. The preacher talked about love and things a Christian should do. And it was a wonderful sermon, but I was alone in a crowded pew. It was a beautiful building, Lord, a masterpiece so fair. It did inspire your children, Lord, even those in deep despair. I went in lonely, lost, and afraid, seeking love and comfort from you, but your children didn't see my needs, and I sat alone in a crowded pew. And Lord, I'll never forget the fear as I sat in that crowded pew, With tears in my eyes and trembling in my heart, desperately needing a friend like you. I looked at the people sitting there and wondered what to do, for none of them seemed to care that I was alone in a crowded pew. You were there as I knew you would be, Lord, and I felt joy I could never explain. You saw my needs as I sat alone, and you understood my pain. For you gently touched another's heart Who seemed to sense my strife And came with a smile An outstretched hand And then a new friend entered my life Somewhere out in that crowded room You sent someone who would care The beautiful building came alive As light shines through dark despair Those close by didn't see it, Lord And I doubt if they ever knew But then I guess they've never been Alone in a crowded pew Please make me aware of others, Lord As I sit in a crowded pew Send me the help to guide them And show me what to do To lift their heavy burden And know that I understand too Lord, let me love them Until they know There's no one alone In a pew with you My heart is for the church to know and receive the depth and the wonder of the Word of God. But if it is not lived out in a practical, meaningful, applicable way, we have lofty thoughts, we have good intentions and no distributed heart for others. Beloved, put your money where your mouth is. Don't just think that we ought to be lower than others. Put yourself there. Find the wonder of the Spirit of God who works in and through you when you would be willing to lay yourself down. And even in such a simple way as to stretch out your hand and say, Hi, are you new here? And no one would ever be alone in this church is my prayer. Let's stand and worship. made new today as we sing this song called Old for New. Continue to play here. I know I've kept you too long. I'm going to squeak out every minute before 2018 comes. Man, if you need to come to this altar, man, I pray that you just take that boulder and you leave it here. And you leave this church and you go into the new year without it. I hope to see you at the destination. And I hope all of us are there. I hope that we look at each other with a newfound generosity and love for one another. And I pray that we are all battling for the lowest seat. That's the stuff that will change this world. I pray that these things are founded deep in your heart and lived out in every facet of your life. Happy New Year to you all. The Worship Band is going to continue to play. If you want to come to the front for, for a time of prayer, that's fine. Otherwise, you are excused. God bless.